It's Milwaukee's Tailgate, the midweek mini-pod version. I'm J.P. Breen. I'm here to welcome you to something new we're trying around these parts. This is one of our new bite-sized podcasts. Our weekly podcasts feature the three of us talking generally about the week in Brewers baseball. And while that format offers great opportunities for banter and and your great questions, of course, it's not a, a great vehicle to dig deep into a specific topic. And that's what I hope to do. I hope to do in these mini pods. I hope to explore topics, make arguments, and and hopefully have in depth interviews and whatever else comes to mind. And so I asked the fellows for some space to play around with some ideas that basically float around in my head from a kind of day to day and week to week. This is my proverbial sandbox. We hope you like these. And today, I'm going to get something off my chest that has bugged me for the past few years. The Jeff Supon deal wasn't actually all that bad. Yes, I'm using this first mini pod to defend Jeff Supon. But before we get there, remember that you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We do want listener questions uh, that'll be more heavily focused towards the weekly podcast, but also on these mini pods. So follow along Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter. That's at MKE Tailgate. And you can email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. You can also follow our Facebook page. You can follow the three of us on Twitter. Uh, You'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast and please consider doing so, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our M&B and Ball and Glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast which will be uh, hopefully coming out next week milwaukee's tailgate is also sponsored in part by carbon four brewing and their english style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades you know them for their great beers like dragon flute block party and their flagship fantasy factory ipa may 4th is the great taste of the midwest the ticket sale extravaganza so make sure you get there early for your chance at great taste tickets Uh, it's also uh, may the Carbon 4th be with you. Wear your Star Wars costumes and come on down. Carbon 4 is featuring a special Welcome to the Dark Side flight that in- includes Valorium's Goldmine Peanut Butter Stout, Lars Owen Dunkelbach, uh, Night Mall Smoked Porter, and the brand new Darth Sidious Black IPA. Also get 12% off merch in the Carbon 4 web store as always with the pro- uh, promo code MKE Tailgate. And check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. All right, as I said, I want to use this to make the argument that the Jeff Supon deal wasn't all that bad for, I guess, I guess Brewers fans that would be my age and a little bit older. The Jeff Supon deal has kind of been the epitome of bad free agent decisions and kind of the, the, the hallmark decision, or the hallmark bad, like incompetent Brewers decision from the 2000s. So Supon signed a contract uh, December uh, 2006 with the Brewers. Four years, $42 million, with a $2 million buyout uh, for a player option that would have been 2011. It's paid $8.25 million in 2007-2008, and in 2009 and 2010, it went up to $12.75 million. There's been no shortage of criticism. So doing a quick Google search... You can see a lot of the blogs have tons of stuff on, on Jeff Supon, to be frank. Review, reviewing the brew 
has Supon in their top five worst free agent signings ever. The Shepherd Express has has Supon as the second worst free agent signing in team history behind only Jeffrey Hammonds. The article argues that aside from the first two months, basically, quote, he was unmitigated hot trash. And the common joke throughout both, I think, in, in Twitter and the blogosphere and kind of talk radio more generally is Ned Yost saying, soup pitch great after what was decidedly a pretty disastrous outing. So how how is anyone basically going to argue that somebody who was given $42 million and ended up being cut, the Brewers basically ate the rest of the contract, how is that not a huge failure? How is it not that bad? The first point is it's to understand the Jeff Supon deal in context. The Brewers became a desirable free agent destination for the first time since probably the 1980s. And Jeff Supon broke the broke the seal on free agency, basically. And this was a big change. If you look just two years earlier, for, so for the 2005 season, the Brewers' big free agent signings were Damian Miller, Rick Helling, and 35-year-old Jeff Cirillo. Now, Damian Miller and Jeff Cirillo actually produced in, in 2005. They, they put up solid years, one to two win seasons. But they weren't the kinds of signings that the Brewers needed to push a young team into a postseason hunt. Meaning, if those are the signings that you are kind of basing your entire offseason plan on, you're not in great shape. There's not a lot of impact there. So when Soup was one of the... So Jeff Supon became one of the more highly sought after free agent pitchers that year, right? You have Barry Zito out there, but Supon's uh, agent, Scott Leventhal, said that Supon saw the Brewers as a team with potential and quote, I think he feels that it's a team that has tremendous talent. It's got a mix of young guys and veterans, all with talent, unquote. And that's from ESPN. And so in other words, the Brewers were a team with potential. They, were, they weren't anything more than a team with potential at that time. And so the odds of a high-end guy coming down, uh, coming to town without a massive overpay, in my estimation, I think were slim to none. And so when you're trying to become a team that actually wants to play in these high-end free agency battles where you actually go in and get impact talent that can move your team from kind of fringe contender to being a contender or even a contender to somebody who is the favorite to win the NL Central. You need to you need to basically start to make the case that free agents have to pay attention to you. And if you were the Brewers who had struggled for so long, you need to make a claim to say, this is now a desirable place where people who are wanted on the free agent market want to come. I think about this a little bit like Amazon, right? Amazon, huge, massive company right now, very well known for being willing to take pretty big losses when trying to gain market share. This is a little bit what the brewers were doing with, with Jeff, with Jeff Supon. They wanted to gain market share. They wanted to, to get access to quality free agencies or free agents, right? free agent pitchers, free agent hitters down the road. They wanted to be seen as a place where guys wanted to come and play. And in order to do that, you have to be able to sign the first guy. And likely, you know, there wasn't going to be a top end guy that was finally going to kind of break the seal here. 
And so much like with Amazon, the brewers in a lot of cases were being willing to take an initial loss to start gaining market share. And we do see that the brewers actually become a much more attractive, I guess you would say, free agent, uh, free agent destination going forward. And arguably, I would argue, and using the mini pod here to make the argument, that Jeff Supon was the start of guys starting to take the brewer seriously as a free agent destination. It's also important to recognize in the context of what the Brewers actually needed in that season. They absolutely needed talent, no doubt. But what they needed in the starting rotation is they needed innings. Ben Sheets, Tomaoka, they suffered injuries in 2006, the year before. They put the Brewers rotation basically into a tailspin, relied on guys like Carlos Villanueva, Dana Evelyn, Zach Johnson for meaningful start, uh, meaningful innings as starters. And Supon, he was a guy who had started 30 games every single year since 1999 with the Kansas City Royals. He was a workhorse. He was a guy that you could rely to take the ball every single time and soak innings to be able to save your bullpen. And yeah, I think it. you could probably make an argument that innings eater, inning eaters potentially could have been had for cheaper. But it's also easy to forget that Supon had a 2-3-9 ERA in the second half of the 2006 season with the Cardinals. It was backed up with a 4.03 FIP, and before people kind of, I guess, snicker at that that FIP, it was a different run environment in 2006. League average FIP for a starter was 4.61 in 2006. Compare that kind of relying on a second half to a three-year deal given to guys like Tyler Chatwood a couple of years ago got $30 million plus due to weird weird things like, you know, he pitched well away from Coors Field, didn't necessarily pay any attention to the underlying numbers there or like why he wasn't pitching well at Coors Field. There were reasons to think that Supon could be an adequate number four starter for, for a few years, giving 180, 200 innings of thoroughly mediocre production. Which leads kind of to a broader third point. And this is, to me, is actually one of the biggest points to, to think about when you're actually going to make a criticism of Jeff Supon. They weren't actually paying Supon to be good. They were paying, they were paying him to be utterly mediocre. And this, this gets lost in the shuffle. And this was the first time the Brewers spent pretty big money in free agency. Brewers fans had outside ex- outsized expectations. They thought for a four-year, $42 million deal, that meant the Brewers were paying basically ace-type money for a, me- uh, a mediocre innings eater, a guy who was over 30 years old, a guy who wasn't anything special for the Cardinals other than the really solid to the uh, end of the 2006 season into the postseason. But if you think about what a four-year, $42 million deal was in 2006... They were paying Supon to be the equivalent of a one to two win pitcher, depending on the season. He was being paid $8.25 million in 2007. That's a one to maybe a one and a half win pitcher. That's nothing special. And Supon actually delivered that value in 2007. Depending on your preferred source, BP had him as a 1.5 warp pitcher, while Fangraphs had him at 2.6 wins. He basically had an over return on the investment on that $8.25 million contract 
when the conventional wisdom had teams spending about six, six and a half million dollars per win. He actually over-delivered that first year. And yeah, it was a four-year deal and that's fine. But it helps put into perspective that he wasn't great in 2007. But he wasn't paid to be great. He was paid to eat innings and be a back-end starter. And maybe a number three starter if you really want to be generous. The other point, too, to think about here is I do wonder how much of his his demise after, I guess, the 2007 season, how much of that can be blamed on the Brewers' poor defense? How much of that is a guy who doesn't strike out a lot, a batter, is a, guy who, a guy who lets a lot of balls be put in play? He's going to be reliant upon batted ball luck, and that's not something that we actually were thinking a lot about in 2006. But Supon's batting average on balls in play with the Cardinals, 277, 291, 293, before that. So that was with the, the Royals and other teams. It was 285, 283, 282, 294, etc., etc. Supon's batting average on balls in play with the Brewers, 318, 301. 314, 335. And yeah, we do expect that we now know that batting average on balls in play isn't all just luck, right? It is reliant upon the defense that you have out there. It's also dependent upon how good of a pitcher you are, and we should be recognizing that there's a little bit of decline here. But we know that the Brewers' defense wasn't all that all that great during those years. Even in 2007, you had Ryan Braun, who had a negative 32 defensive run saved at third base lowest number at third base basically since those numbers have been put up or those numbers have been calculated 2008 the team as a whole had a uh, 40 uh, plus 44 defensive run saved and that was mainly due to jason Gendel and mike cameron a little bit of jj uh, hardy but there were legitimate defensive holes on that team. Corey Hart, defensively very, very poor. Prince Fielder, defensively very poor. In that year, it was Ricky Weeks, was defensively very poor. Bill Hall was maybe average at third base, if you're going to be generous. 2009, the team as a whole had a negative 18 defensive run saved. It's It's fair to ask, why was it that Supon's batting average on balls and play numbers so, like suddenly just jumped through the roof? And we know that if you have a guy for better part of seven years posting pretty solidly consistent batting average on balls and play number with different teams, gives you a good baseline to figure out what you got going. And if that jumps to career highs for four consecutive years, I think it's fair to ask that question. What is causing it? How much of that should the Brewers have recognized that a guy who was going to put so many balls in play needed to have a quality defense in front of him? Which, to, to think about that, it's not necessarily... I'm not, not saying trying to argue that, that Jeff Supon would have been great elsewhere. 
but did the Brewers necessarily put him in a place in which he wasn't set up to succeed, I guess you could say? And so, yeah, Jeff Supon's deal didn't work out. We know this. He was dreadful between 2008 and 2010. But it was a deal that had logic behind it. It was a deal that actually made some sense if you look at what the Brewers were trying to do at that time, get innings. Try to actually make themselves a destination on the on the free agent market. They were trying to address the the innings issue, as I as I mentioned before, in the actual pitching rotation. They couldn't necessarily attract one of the guys who could both eat innings and be above average in terms of run production and and was younger. So it was a deal that actually made sense. And from my end, it was burdened by an unfair expectations. So fans have created a straw man. Fans have held up the deal as something that it was never meant to be in the first place. And if you look at it for what it was, a multi-year, multi-year deal for an innings-eating number, number four starter who is paid to come in and be mediocre, who is literally being paid to be a one or two win player, a two win player at most. And like many, many deals across baseball that you see like that, it wasn't special. The only special thing about it was that the brewer, it was the brewer's first time as a meaningful player in the free agent market. And I would argue that they knowingly had to take a pretty big risk of loss to gain access to that market. Now, they likely didn't think that they were going to take as big of a loss as they did after the first season. But I think folks are kidding themselves. They believe that Brewers didn't recognize the financial risk that they were taking when they signed Supon in the first place. So I think it's time to let the grudge go. It's time to recognize that the Supon deal wasn't really that bad. It was the type of deal that small market teams are forced to make when they can't develop their own pitching. And that was the real problem in the mid to late 2000s. Every team makes a Supon deal now and then. It's par for the course. Few teams are unable to develop internal pitching options to the extent that was true for Milwaukee for the better part of two decades. And that, that for me, is what Jeff, Supon's, Jeff Supon really represented when he signed in December of 2006. That lack of internal pitching development, that's the real story. And that's what Jeff Supon's deal stands for. And that's going to do it for the first mini pod. So I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed hearing about Jeff Supon while we're back in exciting times as Brewers fans here in 2019. So again, I hope you enjoyed the mini pod. We'll be doing more of these in the future. We're going to have interviews going forward i'm gonna try to tackle some some issues like this and try to bring them back to the fore so please on on twitter on email facebook let me know what you want to hear what works what doesn't work what kind of stories do you want us to try to dig into what kind of guests do you want to try to get on So again, you can join our, our, our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. And patrons at, at the MNB and Ball and Glove levels receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at mketailgate. You can also submit questions 
Milwaukee's at tailgate, uh, Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com, excuse me, or through the Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, wherever you listen to your podcast, we're there. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast going forward. Thanks for listening.